Brace. Yes. Okay. I have a question. Yes. So how does a flower become a drug? Well, with opium, with the opium poppy. Yeah, yeah, poppies. Of God's, you know, as a former florist, I'm very familiar with many of many of the good Lord's creations mm. of flowers. Despise almost all of it, except for the poppy. That's you cut it open, you get the sap. I'm not too entirely familiar with exactly the step-by-step making mm. of the dope. But I do know that it's the sap of the opium poppy. You cut it open, you process it somehow, and there's a bunch of different things you can do with it after that. You can make it into morphine, and after that you can refine it further into heroin. Uh, you can synthesize it, make fake opium, which is, that's what they call opiates, or opioids, rather. Mm. Wait, what's uh, the difference between opiate and opioid? Opiate is from the earth. It's natural. It's oh. okay to do. It's just it's just like smoking cannabis. It cannot possibly harm you. Opioids, <laughs> are, are, opioids are created in labs uh, in order to kill you. Mm. That uh, sounds bad. That's the big difference. You yeah. cavemen actually apparently used. Really? opium well they had they were buried alongside the flowers and you know it's you know how like when you get buried you usually bring like a couple of your relatives along mm. like you know you die and then you have a couple of them killed yeah. there alongside you i don't think that's because you but... love them well okay. that's what they did with with the opium flower <laughs> uh with 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 uh with the poppy but people have basically used opium or used the poppy in various forms since like I think the earliest they found it was like 3,500 years ago for sure, Ugh. but almost certainly before then. And like again, like I said, it's buried alongside Neanderthals, and everybody was using it. I bet, like crazy Greeks definitely for sure. Absolutely. They were total freakazoids. Yeah. Homer talks about this drug called the Penth in the Odyssey, mm. which makes you uh, – it makes you sleepy and dreamy and forget everything. Mm. Uh, you know, people <laughs> – the Sumerians – like definitely used opium. They called it whole gill, which means the joy plant. Stupid uh, name. They also called it smack, which I thought really was no, no, I oh. just made that up. Uh, <laughs> Minoans used it. Alexander the Great brought it to fucking India. Eventually, you know, back then people were kind of just pounding the paste and you know putting that into like potions and shit. Like you know, right, basically right, right. everyone back then was a magician. Um, but eventually, the Portuguese, mm. the perfidious. Vile Portuguese. Underrated, by the way. Everyone forgets about the Portuguese when they're talking about colonizers. Yeah. Everyone forgets about them. Well, it's Iberia's Canada. I, it kind of is, actually. It absolutely is. <laughs> That's a great... Okay, anyway, go on. Sorry. Well, they invented smoking opium. The oh, Dutch, another... Oh, God. Don't get me started on the Dutch. Invented peoples. Uh, the Dutch bring it to South Asia and to the, you know, to the Pacific. And then the British bring it to China. And at one point... 10% of the Chinese population smoking dope. So I have a question yeah. about that. I feel like, so with the British, they also used the, they also used India for this, right? Yeah, they, they, they grew it in India and, and then, then forced the Chinese forced to it smoke into the it. Chinese. Yeah, I mean, they fought a couple of wars about it. The yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. thing about that is, is that like the Chinese didn't even really do opium before the British brought it there. Right. And then after, you know, they got the whole country hooked, Opium became sort of seen as like this Chinese, this this like Oriental, you know, secret right? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you go to Chinatown and take a little alcove in the opium den, which by yeah, the way, yeah. sounds like a fucking dr- every junkie dreams of being able right. to relax in one of those little alcoves, a little like Sea Town on mm-hmm. like south of LA, where yep. you're like, you know, you you take your like detective's cap off and put it on the counter, and the you know the 
gorgeous prostitute comes and gives you a pipe or whatever. No, it's like a it's like a fourteen year old catamite that once worked for the Lincoln Project, clad in a loincloth, brings you over and uh, you ask him for something, but he can't answer because his tongue has been cut out. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same sort of thing as that. Uh, but up until about nineteen fourteen, you could literally just buy opiates in America, basically anywhere. Mm. People have been refining poppies in a bunch of different ways for a really long time it hasn't always been heroin uh confessions of an english opium eater the famous book which by the way i tried to read while i was on heroin fucking sucks dick really boring you don't gotta read it that guy wasn't even on dope he was taking laudanum which is like dope and a bunch of other stuff it's how like the victorians got high uh eventually in in i think the mid or kind of early 1800s early 1800s excuse me they invent morphine synthesized and then later a british guy and then a german really refined it invented heroin and you could buy heroin basically anywhere it was it was i believe marketed by Bayer, which later became part of ig farben which of course made zyklon b and had all the slave camps and stuff like that in fact germans who you know not to get every european angry at us with this episode you know what though they should you know maybe they should you should feel bad i gotta say you guys kind of got in, got us into this mess. Invented heroin. Invented oxycodone. Invented fucking, uh, what are the other? You invented uh, perks, really? I believe, too. Yeah, they invented all this kind of shit. Mm. Invented methadone as well. In fact, methadone was invented because I believe the Nazis be thought that their supply lines to India to get the poppies were going to get cut off by World War II. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they invented that. methadone, and the reason several guys I know got really fat in the early 2010s. Oh, my God. It's the Nazis. Hitler, apparently, was taking fucking daily injections of Eucadol, which I believe uh, it's uh, like oxycodone. Oh. That, was, uh, that was synthesized in Ukraine. Wait, I thought he was on meth. Baby, you take all kinds of stuff. He was on lots of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's he, Hitler. Yeah, he's Hitler. Well, yeah. listen, you don't got to be Hitler to take uppers and downers at the same time. <laughs> Let me tell you, it greatly improves your uh, industrial capacity, speaking in a, a personal way about it. Well, the Germans are very industrious. Exactly. Well, uh, after that, you know, World War II ends, uh, dope takes on something of a different nature. It basically becomes something that you grow and you sell uh, and then the CIA helps you distribute in order for them to give you guns so that you can kill people who like ask for a raise and stuff like that. Mm. Chiang Kai-shek sells it. Uh, the Italians sell it. In fact, the CIA basically goes into the port town of Marseille in, uh, in France, beats the shit and fucking kills every like, you know, big time trade unionist there in order for the Corsicans to come in, yeah. start refining heroin. Well, they were refining heroin elsewhere, but start being able to ship it through there in the French connection. But, but dope's a big fucking business. Uh, by the 1950s, selling heroin was basically inextricable from fighting communism. <laughs> of course, you know, we get to the Vietnam War. At one point, I believe one in five soldiers in Vietnam was, was shooting dope, or at least using heroin in some respect. They were bringing it back home in coffins. You know, it, it becomes this huge craze in America. Everybody loves heroin. Then, of course, you know, they gets the drug war and then people discover cocaine and they realize that if you do enough cocaine, you end up making a lot of money, which isn't true with heroin. Right. Uh, well, unless you're good at guitar. And so, you know, cocaine kind of takes over. And until about the 1990s, opiates were sort of taking a backseat. You know, there's always Low junkies. key fell off Low after Kurt Cobain off. died. Exactly. Exactly. Not great for the industry. No, no, not, not at all. And it took the pharmaceutical industry who... 
you know, as much as I want to give them shit for, got to give them respect, and the invention of Oxycontin to really bring it to guys like me. Because my whole thing is, I, 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 I think I said this earlier, in fact, I believe I started with this, I love heroin. <laughs> so the thing is, like, unlike a lot of things we talked about in this show, uh, you know, I didn't get to be in 9-11, uh, I was never, you know, invited to Epstein's Island, but I actually got to be a firsthand and long time, well, relative to the span of my life, participant in the opiate crisis. And it's kind of funny to like, you know, read over these things. When I was on dope, I used to read a lot about heroin. You know, I would read like novels, like junkie and all that kind of stuff, but I would read about the history of dope too. And, uh, and it's weird to like see that all that stuff traced back throughout history that leads to you in the bathroom of the fucking, uh, what's that goddamn Indian restaurant that's open 24 hours in O'Farrell? Not in Curry. Oh, yeah. Not I Curry. had the bathroom code there. And I would spend probably about, I, I spent about a quarter of a year of my life in that bathroom. All told. I spent many years going to the bathroom. But, you know, altogether a quarter of a year of my life. And, uh. And it's funny to trace it back to that because like, you know, unlike a lot of these things that we talk about, this one actually, well, this time, baby, it's personal. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Oh, hold on, baby. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm all good. <laughs> nice try. I'm Liz. Oh, my name is uh, my, uh, Brace. My name is Brace. <laughs> Brace is not high. I'm not nodding off. <laughs> this is welcome. This is True Non. Hello. Hello. Um, and if you can't tell by the lovely opening we just did, this week we're talking about uh heroin <laughs> yes dope talk baby <laughs> which is good because when it comes to dope talk i'm a real dope mm -hmm. i don't know a lot liz is a little bit of a babe in the woods <laughs> thanks wait that's a good thing right yeah oh yeah 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 well it's it's a if i saw you in the woods i would i would sexually harass you mm. okay well we should say that we uh have a bit of a long episode today but i think a good one yeah um Let's just get into it. So I don't know if everyone heard or everyone read, because there's a big story in the news, but um, one of the largest, uh, how do we put it, like most evil corporations on in the world. I think that's fair. McKinsey, the consulting group of Mayor McGee's, uh Mayor Pete, now Transportation Secretary Pete. Do you think he's going to like demand that he's now called secretary pete instead of mayor pete i think he, he's still going by pete yeah is he gonna forever be mayor pete it's one of those things once you get a nickname like that you yeah with that boyish that. face yeah it's awful oh my god he did pledge to make the trains run on time which i appreciate but <laughs> we don't have high speed rail so i don't know what he was i knew he was about. a fascist um anyway so mckinsey and company they uh made a huge settlement uh, one of the largest of its kind, close to $600 million, I think it's like $534 million for their role in 
what is sort of casually deemed the opiate crisis in America, um, but specifically for their business consulting for Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson, uh, but Purdue particularly with the, who are the makers of OxyContin. Um, And we'll get into them and and all that in a little bit because the details of it are, are quite gruesome, but it's hard to kind of talk about McKinsey's role in Purdue pushing OxyContin without kind of backing up and telling like a bit more of a history here of like the role of opiates, which I've now learned are different from opioids. I'm going to confuse that through the whole episode well, for you. Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. I mean, in, in, in this case, they're almost, we're mostly talking about opioids at the beginning. That's true. Okay. But anyway, the big old, this big old drug crisis in America, we kind of have to like back up a bit to like, I mean, I don't know, we started talking in the Neolithic era, but we got to pack up to at least like 70s, 60s, 70s, right? Yeah, yeah. So the thing is with 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 opiates in America is that is that this crisis basically came out of what was essentially a movement to get chronic pain recognized as like a real thing. Right. So prior to the, really to the 90s, it, it, pain actually wasn't really recognized by doctors all that much, which sounds a little wild to say. But for instance, like if you were dying of something that wasn't cancer, like if you're in hospice care or stuff like that, it would actually be pretty unusual in some cases to get opiates. Mm. Now it's like, you know, you get in the hospice. Yeah. I mean, the place looks like a shooting they're gallery. They're giving you, you up. They're giving you Dilaudid. They're giving you fat. They're giving you what? I mean, which is fine with me. I don't, you know, you're about to die. You might as well go out high. But uh, but but up until about the late 80s, early 90s, when there was a real movement to get pain recognized mm-hmm. as, as what some doctors called the fifth vital sign. So you know how you go into the doctor's office, which, of course, you never would because, you know, you're very, you know, fit. You know, you do all the keto stuff. I don't um, do that. You do the skin grafts, et cetera. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but, you know, you go into the doctor's office and you're like, ah, you know, I got a toothache or something. They're like, well, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is it? Oh, right. Yes. The pain course. scale, stuff like that. Yeah. So people didn't do that back then. Mm. You go in there, you're like, doctor, I slammed my penis in the car door trying to chase a cat that I was trying to fuck. You know, in this case, your Pepe Le Pew. The doctor's like, here, I'm giving you some ibuprofen, but you got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you got to go out and do cocaine with your Wall Street buddies in order mm. to numb the pain. Uh, there was a particularly a guy named Russell Portnoy who was really, really influential on this. I know what you're thinking. Yes, he's his father. <laughs> it's not his father. It, it's not David Portnoy's father. No. It's not even spelled the same way, but fuck, wouldn't that be a really crazy turn of history? I would love that. If like Dave Portnoy yeah. was related to... He could Russell finally... Portnoy. I could sue him into giving me a job as this co-host of Call Our Dad. <laughs> Okay, wait. Well, I'll, announce, I'll let people know about that at the yeah, end of Yeah, we, we, can, we can announce that at the end of the episode okay. and in the show notes. Yeah, but yeah, 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 we need to get on that show. Anyways, this guy was like the evangelist for using opiates and opioids to treat pain, mm. right? And we're not talking about just pain like, oh, you know, like I'm fucking dying. I'm in the hospital, that kind of pain. Because, you know, except if you had cancer, you really were not getting opiates for much of that anyways. Right, right, right. But he's talking like back pain, you know. Yeah. Knee pain, chronic pain, which is something, as we have learned, seems like most Americans have. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but the reason that doctors weren't prescribing opiates were probably for the reason you think, because they're insanely addictive. 
and they rock. Well, yeah. Also, you mentioned, look, after Vietnam, there was a huge fucking uptick mm-hmm. in heroin and and opiate addiction in the fucking country. So, like, the entire medical profession was, like, very, very wary of this. And, you know, it just was, it was, like, highly regulated. It really wasn't a thing. Yeah, well, listen to this uh, this clip of David Portnoy. Addiction, when when treating pain, is distinctly uncommon. If a person does not have a history, a personal history of substance abuse, and does not have a history in the family of substance abuse, and does not have a very major psychiatric disorder, most doctors can feel very assured that that person is not going to become addicted. So he would go on television shows, the Good Morning America, all this stuff, and for decades, basically saying not only that it was okay to give pain patients pain pills, which, you know, they're called pain pills now, mm. uh, which, you know, again, I'm not here to judge if somebody needs, uh, you know, pain pills or not. Obviously, it's I think the data bears out there has been a lot of prescriptions for pain pills that maybe were not so necessary and a real abundance of doctors giving them out basically like candy. Um, but his whole thing was like, just give them out for anything because they're essentially not addictive. Right, and that was right, their right. whole thing. If you take it as advised, this isn't addictive. And now, now he says he's he's really sort of switched sides on this publicly and came out against his former paymasters because his little hint for later in the episode, he was being heavily subsidized by pharmaceutical companies. Right. Yeah. Um, he said in the in Wall Street Journal uh, in 2012, he said, did I teach about pain management, specifically about opioid therapy in a way that reflects misinformation? Well, against the standards of 2012, I guess I did. <laughs> we didn't know then what we knew now. <laughs> And I want to remind you, this stuff is not complicated. No, dude, it's heroin. It's fucking great. And everybody loves it. No, that the thing is, it's true. It's like people have known that opiates are addictive literally since, I mean, before the 20th century. But like the government of the U.S. banned heroin in 1924, not right. because it was too effective at treating coughs. Right, right, right. right. You know, like, and this, by the way, these same sort of like crises in, 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 uh, in overprescribing played out back then as well. Right. Mm. And so obviously bullshit at this time, Portnoy was claiming that less than 1% of people who take prescription opiates become addicted. This statistic, which by the way, has made it its, its way into like essentially every piece of fucking like literature and science and all this shit Mm. that these pharmaceutical companies put out comes from a single letter in published in the new england journal of medicine known as the porter jick letter from 1980 which Wait, is a whole other campaign. but i thought we were supposed to believe science no that's the thing all these guys are actually looking out for your best interest <laughs> so it's the letter is just a really good letter yeah so there was also okay so that was going on like all through the 80s and then Stuff basically started changing uh, in the mid-90s. We should say, just to kind of like set the stage for this as we're talking about OxyContin in particular and Purdue Pharma, like the pharmaceutical industry in the 90s fucking exploded. Yeah. Um, with With the kind of like surge in Prozac and the sales of fucking drugs like viagra Mm -hmm. there was like a a massive massive gold rush yeah like the when we say like the pharmaceutical industry it's not just the big pharmaceutical companies it's also like the sales reps that then like 
are contracted to those companies. And then it's the hotels that uh, handle the huge conferences that they throw and the huge parties. Then it's all of the people that fucking print the literature. Like, this is a massive fucking industry that Not to mention cascades out. The fucking doctors themselves in a lot of cases. Well, like, well, yeah, we'll get into that. But so in the 90s, like, the whole fucking game changes. And there's a doctor in 1996, James Campbell. And he kind of starts... Um, also pushing the same the same line about pain. So the phrase pain is the fifth vital sign becomes something like a fad phrase in hospitals and doctors' offices mm. and clinics across the country. And it becomes really important for doctors to monitor people's pains. I mean, the the medical community really had a fucking field day with this. Articles come out really like clockwork at this point, saying that yes, pain is important and there is a cure for pain. The mm. cure for pain is opiates. <laughs> Dude, wait, can we pause for a second? This is so nuts. Like, first, okay, so I'm a person who, like, I don't know that much about drugs yeah. or, like, whatever. But it's so crazy to think that doctors, literally not that long ago, 1990, in the 90s. Yeah. Literally, like, not that long ago. We're just like, oh, we cured pain. The cure is heroin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dude. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's it's like, it's it's like a, it's a, it's them. I, I don't I feel like overcorrecting is the wrong thing to say because they didn't correct no, it. No, that's the thing. I know. I don't think that's right either. It's a lot like, of people have said that and I don't think that's even the right framing. Exactly. It's like it's like they were fucking up on this one problem anyways. And then they're like, "Well, we messed this up. Why don't we do something even worse?" Well, and what get rich. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because what didn't help was this fucking company called Purdue Pharma. Exactly. So I think we should talk a little bit about the history of Purdue. Yeah. These guys, so everyone knows, may, might know Purdue Pharma if they've followed anything. They're the, the manufacturers, the creators, the geniuses behind OxyContin. Um, but it's also, it's the Sackler family. They, the Sackler family has done, gone at great length to not have you associate the Sacklers with anything having to do with Purdue Pharma. That, that has been changing recently. Yes, their name has true. basically become synonymous with it. But yeah, they stayed pretty much behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, it was... If you would, I mean, you wouldn't even know the Sacklers. You would think the Sacklers and you would think he, like the Rockefellers or the Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. You would not think uh, pushers of quote unquote hillbilly heroin. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Brace Belden heroin. <laughs> um, well, no, that was probably the actual heroin. But anyways, the, the, the thing with Purdue is Purdue's fortunes really come from the genius of one of the three Sackler brothers, the three original Sackler brothers. Mm. We had Arthur, Raymond, and Mortimer, uh, which, by the way, Oof. Mortimer, great name. <laughs> Mortimer, Mortimer Sackler. Yeah, Mortimer. Oof. I mean, boy, yeah. Oh, my God. It's an unkind thing to name your child. It's like sounds like the, um, the evil guys in uh, Trading Places. Haven't seen it, but that's <gasps> correct to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. I haven't seen it 95% of the like... movies you've mentioned. I mean, that's like one of the best Christmas movies. Oh, well, I guess I got to wait another year then. I guess it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, it is a Christmas movie. Well, the thing is, with Arthur Sackler, he's the real fucking little smarty pants of the bunch, right? He got his start at a pharmaceutical advertising firm, and this is important, called William... Well, the name of the firm isn't that important, but what he does. The, the firm's called William Douglas McAdams, and this guy helps like revolutionize the way mm. that drugs are sold. Because back then... 
you know, there wasn't really a whole cross, a lot of crossover between like the Madison Avenue set and these, you know, these drug companies. Yeah. But he gets the idea to start marketing Valium in a way that he's both marketing to consumers, but he's marketing to doctors. So what he does is he makes these like, you know, these really official looking advertisements essentially with doctors paid by the advertising company and the drug company that are extolling the virtues of Valium. And that is a whole other can of worms to get into. I mean, the Valium shit is... Yeah, yeah the Valium stuff is really crazy. Not only was he, like, uh, marketing to them, though, but, like, their, his adage... So, basically, he starts as, like, a copy editor and then ends up being, like, so successful, he, like, fucking buys the marketing yeah. firm himself. You know, it's, like, really actually classic kind of, like, weird rag-to-riches story. But um, at one point, I mean, they were running, a, like, Medicine Journal that the advertising agency created. It was called like Medicine Today or something like that. that the Lancet. That no, it was not the Lancet, but it went to like every single fucking doctor's office and it was only it was like geared towards doctors and it was like all industry news and it was all just fucking like, you know, what we would call like SpawnCon. Yeah. Now, like you know how Instagram girls are like, I love skinny tea, blah 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 blah. Like the fucking Sacklers are responsible for that, basically. I actually, you know, it's funny because they kept doing that uh, up until very recently when, in back in 2015, the Atlantic magazine ran four advertorials from Purdue extolling basically the virtues of opiates. Oh, my God. Uh, 2015, by the way, which is, I mean, Christ, even I knew they were bad at that point. Um, yeah, th this is, I mean, this stuff is really crucial to remember because you know, this guy basically invented the playbook and then his family yeah. really perfected it, yeah. right? And this stuff plays out in really any industry you can think of, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, fake trade journals, all that kind of shit. Yeah, totally. He also, like at one point, he uh, paid the, or it came out that the head of the FDA had taken like, it was like 300000 or $250,000 um, to like insert slogans from Sackler's clients into his speeches. Yes. Like, it was like, and it was like so egregious. And when the scandal kind of like came to light, someone was like, oh, guess he got a little out of, you know, got a little out of hand over there. Ha ha Yeah, ha. must have read too much of the literature. Yeah. Well, that is not the only instance of FDA malfeasance here. Um, yeah, these guys, I mean, the family obviously now is hugely rich. Uh, you know, we have their names plastered on a bunch of different museums. That's like, we're not even going to get into their art world stuff, but suffice to say, I, there's one thing I do want to mention is that one of the descendants, Elizabeth Sackler, mm. Franzak is actually her, it's like a hyphenated name. <laughs> uh, she endowed the Brooklyn Museum with the Elizabeth Sackler Center for Feminist Art, which is, uh, I will be displaying that. To be year. fair, though, most Brooklyn art is brought to you by Oxycontin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, very true. Uh, and same with most of my musical career. But yeah, the Sacklers, I mean, it, 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 without even getting into them too specifically, because there are a lot of members of the family, Richard Sackler, uh, you know, one of the one of the sons of the original Sackler trio, he was kind of the guy who steered the, the Purdue ship throughout mm -hmm. most of this. Uh, but a lot of the family is really involved in it. And the thing is, some of the family who claim that they actually have no relation to Purdue might not have a relation to Purdue anymore because, you know, uh, I think I think it was Mortimer Sackler or, or uh, sold a bunch of his stakes in, in like, the, the 89. Uh, they all definitely profited from Purdue's other bu weird bullshit they did pre-Oxycontin. So none of these people have clean hands, even though some of them are documentary filmmakers about uh, 
about inner city, you know, uh, you know, inner city youth who have to go to prison. All these assholes are singer songwriter who has a Wikipedia, even though his fucking albums don't have individual Wikipedia pages, which is how you can tell a musician made their own Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, I mean, they're all sons of bitches, but in, in 19, wait, a nonprofit incubator that supports organizations like the Malala fund. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, Malala is a Trotskyist. So (laughs) you can kind of see that the, the connections being made here. Absolutely. Member of the IMT. Uh, the thing is with Purdue is you might think that, oh, well they're innovative. They came up with Oxycontin. No one's ever been able to get so many people on dope before. And you know, you're correct. They did come up with Contin. So Liz, Here's a little quiz. What do you think Contin means? Uh, Contin, like continuous. Exactly. Really? I didn't know that until that now. Oh. <laughs> no, it makes sense because like, it's the oxycontinues. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, it's like a word they made up like Vivance oh, or something. Yeah. I didn't know it actually meant continuous, but it does. Yeah, it makes sense. I have put gallons of Oxycontin in myself, and I had no idea. <laughs> well, in 1972, they come up with Contin, which is a method. You might think, uh, oh, you know, these are so scientific. No, no, this is just a method for the delayed release of a drug within a pill, mm. right? So if you want to take, uh, you know, Viagra Contin because you want a boner for uh, like five days, <laughs> you know, you take some they Viagra Contin, that, it releases though. it slowly. Could you imagine? Uh, I think that like uh, has happened to people. I think that's like a no. Big that's thing. like a thing with Viagra, it doesn't go down. That it yeah. like yeah. doesn't it fuck with your heart rate? Yeah, dude. Like people can die from like heart attacks from taking it. Old people. You know though, what's right? crazy? Remember how Bob Dole was the spokesman for yeah. Viagra, yeah, and everyone yeah. was like, "This is totally fine." Yeah, that was what happened to him. That was very weird. He likes he fucking his president. wife. Imagine if like, hmm, it was like the last. What if Jill Stein started hawking? Viagra. I would buy it. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, blue chew. So they come up with Oxycontin in around 1993. And Oxycontin is just oxycodone, which is a drug that has been around since 1916 mm. and Contin. So they come up with a pill called MS Contin, which I believe is morphine sulfate Contin. Mm. That is morphine for a long time, for a long period of time. Later, they develop OxyContin. This is in about 1993. They come up with this. All this does is put together an existing synthetic opioid, which is oxycodone, together. With content. Time release. Exactly. Got it. What we have here, Oxycontin. Now, you might not think that this is a patent-worthy invention. Yeah, I wouldn't. You might be like, well, all you did was just add a time release thing from like 25 years ago to a drug that has been around so long that the guy who invented it died in the Holocaust <laughs> as like a middle-aged guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. You would be correct in thinking that that was weird, but nobody else did. Mm. Patent process for this thing was unbelievably smooth. Instead of waiting years, which, by the way, the Sacklers and Purdue heads were all very aware of this and talking about how you know lucky they were about mm, this stuff. Quote, unquote. Instead of waiting years for this to be, you know, a, a patent, you know, patent to go through and everything to be approved, they only have to wait 11 months. <laughs> and the FDA even allows them to write on the label 
that there's a less of an, a, a risk for addiction with Oxycontin <laughs> compared to other opioids. Oh so my God. that really brings us to why they would make that claim. And that all has to do with the Oxycontin marketing. Yeah. So this is the stuff that's like a lot of people have, um, I think, rightly focused on. There have been a lot of lawsuits um, over the basically over the past decade. And so a ton of internal Purdue memos have come to light. And we spent some time reading through this shit and it's really fucked up. I don't know if you guys have um, come across any of this stuff. I would, if you guys are interested, I would encourage you to seek it out and read the these like internal papers because yeah. seeing like, we'll read some of it here for you guys, but really like seeing how these guys talk to each other. It was like, I don't know, we do this fucking podcast and I was like really shocked yeah at like yeah. how depraved and disgusting this shit was it was like it was it's like it was it's worse than enron it to me it was like up there with the tobacco firms if not more dow chemical i mean this is yeah. where the what purdue is responsible for is kind of should be thought of right absolutely and it's it's the the, the wild thing about that by the way stat news has like a really a, a shit ton of these documents mm. I'll, I'll put a link to a couple of their things but uh but what what sort of struck me about this is just the absolute like it really reminds me of like a gold rush kind of thing yeah or absolutely like wolf of wall street that like shit ton in common with that where all of these guys basically saw that they had a hit on their hands yeah and or and, like the fucking mortgage exactly <laughs> fucking mortgage crisis yeah 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 i mean it's 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 really something i mean the whole thing with the way oxycontin was marketed like i said it, you know Prior to really the mid '90s, most opioids were given to cancer patients, right? Particularly, really bad cancer patients. When you had can well, not really bad patients, but no, you like know, terminal, terminal kind of right. cancer, or in hospice situations. The thing is, cancer pain was only about fifteen percent of the possible opioid market, right? Yeah. And so the real thing that 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 Purdue wanted to do was to get oxycodone available for everybody. They they want it if you had chronic pain, if you just had a little pain, this is the drug for you. And so their whole thing was, okay, well, the reason that opioids aren't given to people with chronic pain is because they're addictive. And so their marketing revolved around the entirely made up, there's zero basis for any of this stuff, entirely made up uh, claim that Oxycontin was less addictive because the thing is with Oxycontin, the big claim about it was that it's released over a 12-hour time period. So there are less peaks and valleys. And if you have to take it less, there's less of a chance for addiction, which is, it's just nonsense. It's just like something a marketing guy came up with. It's like right. not a real actual medical thing. And yeah, Oxycontin also does not last for 12 hours. <laughs> well, yeah. So they, they, I mean, you mentioned that the FDA let them put that on its on its packaging, its claim about it being non-addictive. I mean, it's, a lot of scrutiny has come over the FDA for this, and rightly so. The guy who oversaw that process, Dr. Curtis Wright, he left the FDA two years after that to take a job at Purdue. Yeah. And those kind of stories are all over this entire, the fucking decades of Purdue Pharma. That's the thing is like a lot of the people who came after Purdue, Purdue was actually able to poach them from their jobs. I mean, not like this FDA cat did, but like, like attorneys, you know, mm. from various states would like, you know, 
put a lawsuit against Purdue yeah. and then be poached by Purdue to work. Yeah, it's out. similar. I mean, Philip Morris and the, I would say also the Defense Industry Act very similarly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can we should consider like this company on that scale. Yeah, of, I mean, after we did or, that episode with Abby Martin last week, I mean, I, I got a big ass check from Raytheon. <laughs> she will not be on the show again. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if you actually look at like the Oxycontin reading materials from the 90s yeah they read like something like a bad joke i i read this one brochure from the 90s and at one point during like an faq portion of the pamphlet there's a question about addiction risks and it's like way buried down there and the pamphlet says that there aren't many addiction risks and that if you're concerned you should not get let fear get in the way of relief (laughs) like basically if you're afraid about being a junkie you're being a pussy um and that was like, that's their whole, like, you got to understand, this was a giant pushback then to, to, to essentially turn science on its head and say that pain pills are not only not addictive, but they can be used essentially indefinitely without any risk of addiction. But you say turn science on its head and like, oh, here's a fun fact. Like, I mean, this is a great example and there's, there's plenty of current contemporary yes. examples of this, but like, hey, science isn't just um, like a not like a non-ideological object that yeah. exists outside of like being a tool for, for those who want to use it. Like it can be whatever it needs to be Yeah, exactly. in whatever case, like there is no, there's no like, um, there is no one true science. Well, we there is one one true science, but yes, <laughs> you but know it's what I'm not saying. it's not neutral ground. No, it is not neutral ground. And, at all. and the thing is, like in, in this case, you know, and in many other cases throughout history, but this case I think is really apparent is that science and trusting the science is essentially trusting people that hate you mm. and want to profit off of you mm. because science in a country like America exists essentially to further the needs. Are the people who run the country, the capitalists. Well, and this is what they did. I mean, look, they fucking went after specific doctors who had big practices, who they knew they could push, and turned them into, I mean, everyone's heard it, fucking pill mills. Exactly. The things that, the shit that they did with doctors is insane. So they were big data freaks, which, don't get me started on data, guys. I mean, my God, what a sick breed of individual. Okay, hey, newsflash, you work in data? Where has, have we seen big data do good stuff? Mm-hmm. IBM in the Holocaust? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Not a good track record. IBM in the second secret Holocaust yeah. that they did in the 80s? Horrible. Yeah, I know. It's, it's the, they were like really big data freaks. I mean, these guys make 538 look like 537 or something yeah. like that. It's, it's wild. What they would do is they had these like heat maps of where doctors were prescribing Oxycontin. And they sort of overlaid that with where laws might not be a very strict. And they sent their sales reps out to these motherfuckers. I mean, I was reading this one guy's calendar of how many times he met with a sales rep. Sales rep came to this doctor's office 200 times in a year. And the thing is, they weren't just going there to be like, hey, how's it going? Like, so good. They were like, you need to push more Oxycontin. And what they would do is these, and this, by the way, still happens. Yeah. Um, I can link to the website, but there's actually a way to look up if your doctor does this, is drug companies, and by the way, the the drug companies are still really doing that. Pfizer, all these companies- All these guys do it. Huge into this, is they have 
speakers panels. Right. And speakers panels is essentially a way to legalize bribing doctors to sell drugs. So what Purdue would do is they would have these like giant fancy dinner, all all in, you know expenses paid, resort vacations in Boca Raton for doctors. And by the way, tens of thousands of doctors flew out to these things. They would get you wined and dined. And they did this because as they acknowledge in their own internal documents, when they brought doctors to these dinners, their prescriptions of Oxycontin, specifically Oxycontin, doubled. Mm. I mean, it's it's a way it's a way to do bribery. And by the way, this again, like I'm not kidding, this still happens, and this is not illegal. Like they can do this kind of thing. This makes me so upset. Oh, it's I it's don't incredible. These are the people who I mean, <laughs> these are the people who are supposed to care for us and mm-hmm. supposed to make you better, and they're fucking killing you, and and just like uh it makes me so angry then that like at like liberal snobs and politicians who then get mad at normal people for like being wary of doctors or medicine or whatever and it's like look what this fucking country has done to people well let me tell you real quick about you know what happened with me so i was not given oxycontin for pain and that's not even what i'm talking about i'm talking about a drug i was given after i got off of heroin that was supposed to help me with withdrawals the drug is called neurontin or gabapentin mm. i was given this off label by a doctor in fact by well nurse practitioners at like four different detoxes and rehabs every single time i went back in they would prescribe me this drug and three of the four times maximum dose which is like really high yeah. uh, it was i think it was 3200 milligrams a day Holy whereas shit. most people who are on it are like 300 milligrams a day uh gabapentin is not approved for that a gabapentin is basically only a, it's like a seizure medication. It is one of the top, I believe five or at the very least 10 prescribed, most prescribed drugs in America. Not that many people have seizures. That's because Pfizer went around in the early two thousands to doctor's offices, giving them all this bullshit literature on how this was essentially the cure all drug for everything. I mean, I was on gabapentin for years. It has tons of really bad side effects. I mean, especially at high doses. I'm sure at low doses once a day, you know. I know people who have been on it for that. They don't really experience anything. I was on a shit ton of it. And doctors just kept re-prescribing this, even though I'd be like, I don't know why I'm on this because it is bad withdrawals. So, you know, they don't like to take people off of it. And this was like, I mean, Pfizer eventually settled for like $350 million of mm. something like that. I don't know who got that money. Um, but I mean, these practices occur with like almost every drug. In, in Here's the thing. Between 2009 and 2018, while your dumb ass was working at a coffee shop, pharmaceutical companies spent $9 billion on bribing doctors. I mean, this shit works, you know? And that's, yeah, I, am, I, have, I, have, I have not had a good experience. And by the way, this was with, I probably had about 20 doctors since I was prescribed that. That's the perks of going to a free clinic. Um, but yeah, really bad shit. I just, anyways, to get off of that, like we said, these guys specifically targeted states with less regulations. So they had a kind of like tiered strategy. So we talked about they, they target the doctors. They're like throwing a shit ton of money at the doctors. They're throwing all these sales reps with their own. By the way, these sales reps have their own fucking perverse sales incentives. Themselves. Huge bonuses. Yeah. Huge bonuses. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like fucking, it's really fucking depraved. 
Uh, they're going after the states with really loose regulations. They're going after towns, by the way, that have been completely and totally deindustrialized. This that's, is that's a big thing. Yeah, they're, it, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's those are people that they're specifically targeting, and they're also like. They were also kind of fighting against what they saw to be um, kind of like individual hurdles. Yeah. So they um, they really wanted to fight back against this kind of perceived what they called ceiling effect, meaning that like the drug would stop working after a certain dose level. So I think that we should just kind of read from some of these emails because like we said, the I mean, it's pretty depraved what they're getting into here. Well, one of their big targets with their sales rep was to make sure that doctors were prescribing them at 12-hour intervals, right? Right. The whole thing with OxyContin, the thing that made it different from other drugs, the thing that made it safe and not addictive was the fact that you could take it just a couple of times a day and it would last the whole time. I want to be clear. I, I think I said this before, but I want to be clear. That is not true. I have taken OxyContin in every single way except for putting up my ass that you can take it. And I know plenty of guys who put it up their asses. It's called Boof in it. Um, I have Boof Suboxone, but the film in it, I just put it, it didn't work. Um, but uh, but it, it, OxyContin does not last for 12 hours. OxyContin, if taken as directed, lasts, most of it gets in your system 40%, I think, within two hours. And then, so you do get an immediate high. Because the other claim, too, which they stopped pushing as much, was that you don't get high from it. Mm. Um, because it, it re it's released in such a slow, gentle wave that you don't even notice except for the, uh, the analgesic painkilling effects. Uh, the fact is that wasn't true. You get high from it. And it only lasts for, at most, eight hours. And so people would redose, and doctors started writing prescriptions for eight hours at a time, for eight-hour mm. intervals. And Purdue was freaking out because that was like how they got FDA approval on this stuff. You know, that was one of their big sales pitches. That was the crux of their sales pitch was that it was a 12-hour drug. And so they sent out tons of sales reps to really hammer this stuff home and to get doctors to prescribe more Oxycontin. So this is an email in one of the internal um, memos. This is from uh, Richard Sackler, who allegedly is a doctor. Um, and this is what he's writing. This is in May 1999. May your growth exceed your greatest expectations and may your requirements expand faster than anticipated. You won't believe how committed I am to make OxyContin a huge success it is almost that i dedicated my life to it and after the initial phase i will have to catch up with my private life again it is also so encouraging to see and experience how happy the key pain specialists are for me i intend to invite the president of the pain society to our gala night at the kickoff meeting. It is unusual to have customers at company functions, but we have such a good relationship with them that in some cases I know they would like to join us and also meet you. We could do it under the banner of Partners Against Pain and OxyContin, of course. Kind regards, must go back to packing. We are moving into the new house on Monday and I'm <laughs> way behind with packing. Um... Boy, uh, t just 10 years after this email was written, I would be selling 50% uh, of my record collection at a 100% loss in order to buy a uh, gram of heroin. Mm. I'm just kidding. My record collection was worth more than that. But yeah, I mean, there's longer. dozens and dozens 
I mean, that we read of these kind of emails to doctors. Um, I I, I, I want I wanted to get into a couple because a lot of these are from Kentucky, and Kentucky has been hit really hard right. by the opioid epidemic. In fact, most of these are from Boone County in Kentucky, mm. which is one of the top three most hardest hit counties in Kentucky by the epidemic. So this one says. Emily, the farm farm D told me that Dr. Kennedy is writing oxy, writing by the way is misspelled, writing oxy with both hands. She rolled her eyes and told me it is doing very, very well. Um, another one says stress low abuse with oxycontin. He promised to use more. This is from Florence, Kentucky in Boone. Uh, spoke with MD. She is having success with Oxy more and more frequently. Discussed that some of her patients may be crushing tablets to inject or snort the oxycodone. Discussed side effects of abuse and that Oxy is less likely to be abused than Percocet or Vicodin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uni samples needed in both 400 and 600 milligrams. MD signed for samples. Senecott samples also needed. MD appreciates them. So the thing is with that is Oxy was usually just one pill, mm. right? You know, Oxy is 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 a lot stronger than uh, most of the time, you know, Vicodin and Percocet. I don't think they even have high-dose Vicodin. I, I've never seen, I mean, I've seen like Perc 30s, but beyond that, you know, I, I don't think they go much higher. Oxycontin, you just need that one little pill. And so like, yeah, you can crush that and snort it. It's way easier to abuse because the thing is with Percocet and Vicodin is they also have aspirin in them mm. and people don't want to do the whole cold water extraction thing because you can get the just What's the that? drug guy. It's I never did it because I just took them. I'm like, well, aspirin's good for you. But uh, it's a way to just isolate the opioid oh. and to not take a bunch of mm. uh, you know Advil essentially. Um Another one from Somerset, Kentucky. By the way, these are really small towns, which if you right. Google any of their names now, you will see like 20 dead from opiate or even overdoses yeah. this year. Uh, he loves Oxy and told there is less euphoria, less abuse, and fewer side effects. He told me that he has seen many of his back pain patients coming from Lexington pain clinics on MSC, and he told me that he is now a believer in long-acting narcotics. He enthusiastically told me that he would use Oxy for all pain patience now i don't know if you guys remember back then but i can remember when oxy hit i mean for me it was like one day you know me and the guys we you know we maybe sent some viking here maybe find a little you know bit of percocet there but like when oxy really hit where i was like you know my friend group it was actually kind of late in the game it was about 2007 people were doing it in high school and stuff but all of a sudden it was everywhere like i knew guys with multiple prescriptions and it was like everywhere i turned people were doing oxy i remember i lived in um, a really small apartment above uh i think what's now an afghani restaurant on geary boulevard and my roommate would had had a good oxy connect but it was cheap because a lot that at that time it was getting more expensive um but you know, this guy would come home with like 20 oxys every day, sometimes five oxys, whatever, and I would buy some off of him. Sooner than that, you know, I knew other guys who were doing it. They had their connects. I had all these different connections, and I ended up going to this guy, Dr. Z, an Egyptian um, dwarf who was not a doctor, mm. uh, who lived on, a, on, on a, I think, Turk and Leavenworth. <laughs> and uh, my friend once saw him stab a woman with a samurai sword. He uh, And he still bought drugs from him while... The one was bleeding, but uh, 
he had like 50 different prescriptions from like 50 different doctors all for Oxycontin. And it was everywhere. I mean, Christ, like it, it, I can I get into what happened after that. But like at that point in like 2006, 2007, 2008, it was like the fucking drug. Mm. There was nothing else. Um, and a lot of guys I know got really into it. And so it's nice to see that they were really thinking about us back then. The whole thing with crushing or snorting it is that like there's no uh, time release then. Right. You know, and so basically everyone would do just that. Some people even smoke it or shot it. I I never shot like shooting pills. It always kind of freaked me out. Um, but uh, but that was the way to do it. Is you would you would essentially you would crush it up. You could even chew it, and you would get rid of the time release. Anyways, all those doctor visits really fucking paid off. Yeah. Um, this is there's a lot of like insights into how this stuff worked from the lawsuits filed against Purdue. Yeah. This is this is from a 2012 lawsuit uh, filed by the state of Massachusetts. Um, Liz, do you want to read from this? In January 2013, a Purdue sales representative noted to praise from her supervisor that Jama was taking opioid patients that other practices were turning away. Jama's a doctor in this. In May 2013, Purdue's rep reported that Jama was seeing a lot of patients from a doctor who had been arrested for improper prescribing and has had his license seized. Purdue kept promising its opioids to Jama until a new sales rep was assigned to his account and reported overwhelming signs of, quote, inappropriate prescribing. And this is them quoting. Upon entering the office, it did not appear to to be typical internal med general medicine practice. All patients appeared to be there for pain management and no other health concerns. While in the office, the police had arrived because there have been two prescription pads stolen by a girlfriend of the patient. She tried to fill prescription at local stop and shop and was turned down. The medical assistant further stated that they do see out-of-state patients and do not take driver's licenses and insurance cards at the time of check-in. She stated that Rite Aid Pharmacy as a corporation will not fill any of doctor's prescriptions. Many other local pharmacies require additional information. On November 26, 2013, Purdue finally told its sales reps to stop promoting opioids to JMA. Within six months, Jama's prescriptions of Purdue opioids fell by 99%. In the summer of 2014, when Jama was no longer valuable to Purdue, Purdue reported him to the DEA. Whatever happened to stop snitching? <laughs> the thing, too, I want to say, like, I remember when all this stuff was kind of exploding in the news. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was kind of, when was it, like 2012 to 2014? Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of this in it's the getting news. getting a lot of steam. But I remember when all this stuff was kind of hitting the news and all the stories really focused on patients like faking it. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a couple bad seed doctors. They would talk about like this, maybe perhaps this one made like some kind of Dateline story. Yeah, pill something. mills in Florida. That yeah, kind of pill stuff. mills. Yeah. And, and, also, and people like, you know, really scrounging for the drugs and p- faking pain and all of that. Right. But at the time, not not enough of the heat was going on <laughs> Purdue and the fact that they kind of created this entire little industry for themselves. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people profited off of this industry too. I mean, think about the drug distributors right. who noted nothing wrong with like sending to these small towns so many doses of opioids that it could like literally, you know, give one to every single person in the state just to like one small town. I mean, at one point, there were like 
I don't know the exact statistics. You can look them up, but it was like, you know how like there's like five guns or whatever for every American. Right. This made guns look like you know gold coins or something. <laughs> like they 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 were so common, and it was like. There was like, I can't remember again the exact number, but it was like 10 for every single person in the country, you know? Well, we can't really talk about Purdue's like marketing strategy without talking about McKinsey. Yeah. Because they hired McKinsey in like 2004. Correct. Yeah. And man, McKinsey did, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this company. I mean, management consulting. This is, I mean, McKinsey is the end-all be-all of management consulting yeah they're um, the top dogs yeah they th- th- i think that they probably are worse than at least a couple of the banks yeah um, yeah i i think that you can i mean you know i i think it's <laughs> goldman sachs is a terrible fucking terrible terrible fucking company you, look everyone knows how much i hate bankers it's hard to pin actual bodies on the on goldman sachs it's very easy to do that to mckinsey yeah absolutely. Um, i mean literally specifically in saudi arabia uh they handed over or the government got their hands on a list from mckinsey of critics of the regime on twitter right right, right. uh two of them were arrested and one had who i believe was out of the country had several of their relatives who were in the country arrested mckinsey of course claims it has no idea how the government got that list no it no it says that they didn't know what the government was going to do with that list oh well technically that's true yeah so i mean these people are i mean they're really fucking evil. And I guess one thing to say is that, you know, Purdue, in order for Purdue to make money off OxyContin, they realized they needed to create addicts. Yeah. And McKinsey came in and said, we can actually help you create that more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so combining their expertise with like the Sackler's innovation in in advertising, I mean, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, some of the, <laughs> I think they called their program evolve to excellence okay which is a fucking succession ass fucking <laughs> kind of yeah, management yeah, 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 name. yeah 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 um but basically they were their whole what they saw was that they already had that, that that purdue already had these kind of you know high volume prescribers and that what they needed to do was target them more i mean this is in 2013 yeah so this is still this is at the fucking height right um what McKinsey said was they have to pull their resources from all of the ones that were low-level prescribers and just fucking pummel the high-volume prescribers with more and more resources. And they 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 promised Purdue that they could increase their sales upwards of a hundred million by doing this. Um, they called it turbocharging the Purdue sales engine. They actually use the words turbocharging too, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was part of the presentation. They also, I mean, this is the thing too, is that McKinsey, and particularly, you know, it should be noted in their settlement that they just reached, which is about like five, I think it's around six hundred million. They one of the stipulations is that they would not admit to any wrongdoing. Classic. Yeah, super classic. Because, um, but I mean, th- these guys fucking knew what they were doing in 2017. Their presentation to the Sacklers estimated how many customers from companies that were prescribing OxyContin would 
overdose. Yeah, yeah. So they There's would, some really fantastic slides in that. Yeah, it's disgusting. And so with like CVS and with Anthem, and I think in particular in CVS, what they did was they said, okay, well, in 2019, we think that at least 2,500 CVS customers will either have an overdose or develop a disorder. And so what we're going to do is as like a kind of incentive to CVS to not drop shilling Oxycontin is that we're going to promise a rebate of 14,018 or $800 quote per event in case of in case that happened. And so we promised to pay you an additional, you know, CBS, we're going to pay you an additional $37 million a year. So just to like be totally clear, McKinsey, like their business plan for Oxycontin was to drive sales by promising companies refunds for every overdose. Yeah. And of course they like, they, they reading sort of like the analysis of how they do the rebates too in the documents is I mean, the whole thing is just totally... It's totally sick. Perverse, yeah. I mean, um, these, people are, these people are sick. And to be clear, like the people who work at McKinsey are the top graduates of Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford. Yeah. Um, and they go are, on to do really wonderful stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, they mean, work for the government. They work for fucking... Tons of politicians, The biggest law owners, firms. Yeah. They work for the biggest banks. They work for... They're the heads of the IMF and the World Bank. I mean, these are the fuck. This is the elite training ground. This is what our country trains people to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To fucking come up with the idea of selling fucking rebates for everybody in the ground. Now, I uh, I have overdosed, um, not obviously non-fatally. Uh, and, and, you know, to their credit, not on Oxycontin, because at that time they weren't making any Oxycontin strong enough for me to overdose on. Um, but, uh, but one thing I noticed, so, you know, there's, I think the statistic is something there's like half, almost half a million people dead from overdoses in the past, like, since I think like 2000, something like that, since the opioid crisis started. Obviously that, that, that's not all from, from opioids and that's not all from synthetic opioids. Um, but one thing that I, I don't ever really see, and I couldn't find the literature on this. I'm sure this exists, although I've, there's no way for the information to be complete because obviously a lot of these don't, you know, these people don't come into contact with hospitals and so uh, they're not reported. But non-fatal overdoses too can really fuck with you. Um, you know, people I, you know, can be in comas for days. They can suffer permanent brain damage. Uh, you know, I know people who have, you know, lost mental faculties from this kind of stuff. You know, I were, I used to work in a, uh, uh, until last year I worked in a, um, like a detox down, down the street from here. Um, that was a pretty shittily run. It was, it was a city run detox and, uh, well, we'll talk about rehabs in a sec later, but that's another really fucked up industry. Uh, and I met guys who were, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, like pretty disabled from, from, from overdosing. And so it's like the calculating the actual wreckage from this stuff is, is really, you know, the numbers that we see are really deceptive because they, they basically calculated just in deaths immediately from these drugs. Right. Um, where the, the fact of the matter is, is you have to really count the secondary things that happen here. I mean, I know that if I had never, you know, gotten addicted to, to opioids, I wouldn't have done a lot of the things that I've done in my life, including a lot of dangerous situations. You know, I have been beaten pretty badly. Um, you know, I've been robbed. I have injected things that were not um, safe for injection. Uh, and and I actually, you know, I, I'm pretty lucky with my experience. I know people who have 
made mistakes that will haunt them the rest of their lives. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of people who died, um, a lot of people. And, and I'm willing to bet that most, at least American listeners of this know at least one person who has been really affected by yeah. this. You know, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this is touched basically everybody. And so the, the thing is with like the numbers that you see, and some of the numbers are really shocking and appalling, you know, um, I, I think it was like, uh, Purdue's thing, it was like there was a 223 with, with sort of the advent of opioids to treat chronic pain, 223, 26% increase in fentanyl prescriptions, 73% uh, morphine prescriptions, 402% increase in oxycodone prescriptions. And those were, you know, met with a 641% increase in fentanyl hospitalizations, 113% for morphine and 346% for fucking uh, oxycodone. But that doesn't even touch it, right? Right, I I don't understand what that means. Like I can look at those numbers. I understand that they're big numbers. I understand that this affects a lot of people, but like, for me, it's it's I, all you have to do in San Francisco at least is walk down the street, man, and like you will see a lot of people and a lot of older people. Because don't forget that this these fucking drug companies created junkies out of like lots of people's grandparents and parents. You know, I I was probably destined to get high in some form and somewhere or another my whole life, but there was a lot of people out there that that wouldn't have touched this shit unless they were given to them by their doctor and a doctor who was either paid or pressured or whatever by Purdue. I mean, they, you know, they, they had that statistic about 1% of people who try this or, you know, get addicted and, and Purdue was very down on addicts and all this kind of stuff. The actual statistic is something like 13% well, of people who prescribed. I mean, it really devastated Florida. A lot oh, of people make fun of Florida and I think you should stop doing that because, uh, I mean, it is the people of Florida, I mean really get taken for a ride mm-hmm. by some of the worst fucking criminals in the history of America consistently and like <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about mortgage fraud. You want to talk about that fucking what the pharmaceutical industry did in Florida. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I, at one point, four out of every 10 uh, pills of Oxycontin, the 30 milligrams that were sold were sold in Florida. And by sold, I mean prescribed. Mm. Um, of the top 50 oxyclinics in America, 49 of them were in Florida. And all of the attempts by members of the Florida legislature or law enforcement there to cut that crack down on these were hit down specifically in two instances by Marco Rubio and by DeSantis. Mm. Like this shit was allowed to run rampant. You know, Jeb, I didn't know this, but I found a mugshot. Jeb Bush's daughter in fucking 2002 tried to get oxys, I believe oxys, with a fake prescription. No way. Yeah, she got arrested for it. Uh, I mean, it's it's totally insane. So there was basically no regulation. I mean, so 2007, Purdue gets sued by a bunch of different people, mm-hmm. uh, end up paying $600 million. By different people, I mean like state governments, federal government, end up paying something like $600 million out. Um, they faced no... Like, at first, we're going to face criminal charges, and then, of course, settled because drug companies always settle in these cases because they have so much money and so escaped any actual criminal culpability. And in 2010, they're forced to change the formula (laughs) of Oxycontin. Liz, let me tell you, I remember this vividly. Really? Absolutely. So prior to 2010, if you got a pill of Oxycontin, it was just like any other pill. You know, you take it, you crush it, you snort it. 
you feel good. You take a little bite off of it maybe when you're first starting out, whatever. You get high off of it. You can bypass the content. It's not continuous. It's immediate. Mm. 2010, they get a lot of heat and they have to change it. And that's when we came out with the re, what's we we were faced with the reformulated Oxycon. And let me tell you, baby, these things were hard as a brick. I remember in 2010, because 2010 is when I was like at, I was on Oxycontin 100% of the time. I made, I think, $13.50 an hour at the flower shop, and uh, 12 of those dollars of every hour was going to Oxycontin. Um, I was, this was, I was, uh, this was like when I was becoming a, a junkie junkie and, uh, and they changed the formula and I couldn't get high off of it anymore. You'd have to take it and then wait for the onset. And then it wasn't as strong, you know, mm. and it, and it, you couldn't, I mean, and there was no way, I mean, these things were like bricks, you know, you could smash them with a hammer and they'd barely come apart. They were not water soluble, so you couldn't shoot them. They turned into a goo. And uh, I remember reading on like drug websites about all of these different like, well, if you bake them in a sheet pan at this time and then, you know, put water on them or whatever. I can't remember the actual things people say. Oh, my God. You could shoot them. Uh, but, you know, and people got fucked up shooting them too, like, because they would, you don't want to shoot goo into your arm. Um, but uh, I switched to heroin. Mm, and yeah. a lot of other people switched to heroin too. Because the, the you know prescri- the, these drugs were being prescribed less and less, um, you know they were there were more and more restrictions were coming out around this, uh, and you know they were making drug databases too for prescribers so they could see what you were prescribed by other doctors elsewhere, which I'm sort of surprised they didn't have before. But uh, <laughs> uh, I I switched to heroin because heroin was cheaper, it was easier to get, um, and you know ten dollars worth of heroin at that point was like. I mean, that's about $50 for the Oxycontin because the price was really going up. Um, and I was not the only one. Yeah, no, that's sort of like, that was the move, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, but everybody did. A thousand addicts bloomed. Yeah, it, and that's really what happened too. It's like all the guys I know who are real serious about their Oxycontin, I mean, all of us were shooting up within a year. Um, and uh, and I never looked back. I don't think I ever did Oxy, Oxy, any kind of Oxy product or even synthetic opioids besides, of course, Dilaudid. And that's when we see heroin overdose deaths skyrocket. And so the, the opioid industry was pointing to, well, look, synthetic opioid deaths are, are down, but that's because everybody switched to fucking heroin because it was cheaper, it was more readily available, got you higher faster. And and I'll tell you, it's it's uh, shooting heroin. Like I, I, I remember when I was first doing it and I was sort of like shocked. I was in this guy's apartment. Um, the only other guy I really shot up with, I mostly did it by myself. I remember him hitting me or teach me how to hit for the first time. And I was like, man, I thought I was smart. Like I'm, I, I was like, this is just, this isn't me, man. Like I'm not doing this. This is somebody else. And that's how it felt. Like I was in somebody else's movie the whole time. Uh, and that continued for years. But, uh, but you know, tons of guys I know who were like, a lot smarter than me, a lot more capable than me, a lot more together than me. Uh, you know, by the 2011, fucking arms looked like they'd been you know shot with a pellet mm. gun a million times or something. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, it, it, it's it's and and it's increased. I mean, heroin now is well. We'll get to that in a second. But like oxycontin is directly responsible for the heroin craze because this happened okay me i'm a, i'm a drug addict i live in a city i'm a young guy whatever a prime sort of target for being a junkie but like these fucking 
moms and dads in the Midwest yeah. or, you know, West Virginia or any of these kind of places, like, you know, these weren't heroin towns before then. Obviously no. people do. I mean, these were meth towns, but you know, they weren't heroin towns. It's different towns. because you can make that at home. Exactly. You're making a car if you know how to do it right. Um, but, uh, but all of a sudden, you know, heroin's everywhere because there is, they created this new market, right? This market where there wasn't a market before. Um, and so there, there is no like, Oh, there is no separating these two things. Right. And there's no separating them from the fentanyl epidemic either. But like, it's all one straight line between drug companies, between drug distributors, between, you know, a, a lot of doctors uh, wanting to make money. And then your fucking cousin, Odin, you know, I mean, it's, it's not even like a curvy line. It's a direct line. You said that now the heroin like heroin deaths are going down. Yeah. But that's because something else is on the rise, right? Fentanyl. Yeah. yeah. I, it's If you look at a graph of of like drug overdoses by death, you'll see like around, you know, 2009, heroin really picks up and then it continues until it about peaks in 2015. And around 2015, synthetic opioids, namely fentanyl, takes off and like that that they now account fentanyl specifically now accounts for the vast majority of drug overdose deaths was, uh, regular opioids have gone down yeah cocaine you know gone down uh but fentanyl i remember the only time i've ever knowingly done fentanyl because when i was doing drugs it was some shit you heard about like a guy died from smoking fentanyl gel out of his grandma's cancer patch the thing is with fentanyl, fentanyl is a lot stronger than heroin or Oxycontin or any stuff like that. It is like, this is the shit that they should only give cancer patients, right? It is fucking strong, like so strong that I don't even really know if they actually should have invented it in the first place. Um, mm. But, uh, but you know, there was, it, it started getting marketed really aggressively. And, and it, you know, I, I, in my time, I'd only heard about it in the patches or in lollipops. I mean, fentanyl lollipops, which I think Brian from Street Fight has taken one, which always been very jealous of that. But, uh, but uh, they, you know, there's this one company called Insys that really marketed a lot. In fact, they're some of the only people who've gone to, gone to prison for the, uh, for their role in the epidemic. And they were trying to get it marketed off label. Mm. basically for use in non-cancer patients. And it did start picking up steam in that, but then people really figured out how to make it in their own labs. And so since then, it, it is far outstripped. I mean, some cities, uh, apparently on the East Coast, I, hadn't, I, I wasn't really familiar with this until I started reading about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you can mix fentanyl in with other drugs really easily. Well, that's the thing. That's what you always hear about. Like, oh, there's, you know, people get, you know, really scared about parties. Like, oh, don't do drugs. Uh, you know, it's all cut with fentanyl. You always yeah. hear that it's cut with fentanyl, or or watch out, those are fake drugs. It's fentanyl. Yeah. What's the deal with that? So you can put fentanyl. A little bit of fentanyl goes a long way. I mean, there was all those kind of stupid stories about cops pretending that they OD'd from like being in the same room as it. Oh. That can't happen. But you can get high off a very little amount of fentanyl, mm. like tiny, tiny little amount. And so people put in other drugs. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't really understand the mindset of putting it in like meth. A few guys died in uh, in the hate from smoking meth laced with fentanyl Oof. a couple of years ago. Um, I don't understand the point of doing that to sell them bad drugs rather than drugs. But I guess it's to keep people coming back. Um, oh. But in some East Coast cities, they used to um, they used to mix it with heroin to make the heroin stronger mm. because it's Jesus cheap, Christ. it's cost effective, right? 
Uh, but now the heroin's gone in a lot of places, and it's just fed. So that's what you were telling me. You were saying that like there's no heroin in Baltimore anymore. Apparently, that's a couple articles I read said that. That's, that's wild. If you are a Baltimore doper, write the podcast and let me know. But from what <laughs> I understand, and the thing is with fentanyl too, is like heroin. I usually know what I was getting. I had the same connect every time. I would go meet Jacques at the fucking Taco Bell downtown Oakland. He'd give me the same bag of heroin I had every time. Sometimes he'd tell me it was stronger. Obviously, you can get different you know, strings from different people. Uh, Monkey, when I used to go to Monkey, he had the same shit every single time, very consistent, until he got shot and his brother, Black, took over and Black shit was always really cut. But uh, but with fentanyl, it's like, you. it's really hard for these old-timer junkies to like gauge the strength. And so there's been a huge increase of deaths because of this. And so it's like, we went from this phase of like synthetic opioids uh, and then we came back, you know, returned to tradition with heroin. Mm. And then that lasted for about you know six or seven years, and now we're at the age of the synthetic opioid. Yeah, this is the cyberpunk future. Exactly, drug. and it's 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 really wild shit. It's really you can get it shipped to your fucking house. You know, mm. it's it's I, they crack down a lot on that. But by the way, if you're dying, buying any drugs on the dark web, like you are literally buying that. Like the the government's watching you. Yeah. You're probably buying it from the feds. But. Exactly. Uh, but a lot of it's from China because mm. uh, you can make them labs there from Germany too. And a lot of the cartels in fucking Mexico, which, you know, they have their own special relationship with the DEA. Um, they're selling that shit too. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I am, I, I did fentanyl a single time. It was sold to me as China white. I knew it was fentanyl. I did it in the bathroom of the Sears in downtown Oakland. And it was, it fucked me up, man. And I was like, that was when I was a fucking junkie junkie. You know, mm. I mean, I had been shooting heroin every day for years. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, I, I, not to come back to this, but it's like the human wreckage this stuff caught, like has cost. It's like, it's going to just multiply. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we always, I think one of the things we always kind of stress on this podcast are these kind of like cascading effects. These like, there's these little kind of stories and this isn't a little story, but it feels like it's at least contained, you know, you might not be a junkie and you might not know someone who's junkie, but these things have, you know, it ends up touching everyone in yeah. in its own way. I mean, you know, the story of the opioid crisis isn't just like over prescribing doctors and disgusting capitalists and pharma pushers and like drug dealers, like all getting involved in, a, in, in the same fucking market. Like it's also, I think, you know, there's been studies that look at what truly made communities because com entire communities have been completely fucking devastated by yeah, this yeah um and are not coming back at at any point in the near future and one of the i mean one of the prime causes is like uh economic devastation yeah and you know th there's been studies that have looked at this because it is a really you know people you know there's the joke where they call it hillbilly heroin or whatever yeah, i don't yeah, really like yeah. that but you know it's not every rural community and there's some rural communities that have been like have been able to kind of like weather through this and remain strong right like why is it just like all over fucking kentucky and all over maine and not in idaho and iowa yeah right and so it's i mean like you mentioned it being in a lot of urban counties that's totally true as well even though it's known as this kind of like rural disease basically, yeah yeah yeah, rural yeah sickness but it basically was like striking in like two specific places, severely economically beaten down, uh, like 
towns that were used to be centered on mining and distressed areas where people are now like wholly dependent on service jobs. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they found that this actually mattered more than a lot of the supply factors that we've talked about in terms of the kind of uh, like economic devastation that this would this would make sense. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about all those studies about deaths of despair. Um, I mean, the thing about despair is that it builds as generations um, of jobs like leave counties and that then um, cascades into, you know, people not having a degree so they can't make a living. And then the people who are bright and maybe you know, see a different future future for themselves. They leave the towns, and so you have a total drain of, uh, you know, local kind of like, you know, what they call like a brain drain or yeah, whatever, yeah. right? Um, people rely on badly paid service jobs that have like basically zero benefits. This starts to, I mean, communities basically start to implode. Yeah, yeah, they crumble. Families break apart. The tax breaks base totally shrinks social services dry up um and then the towns have to rely on economic policies that disinvest from social services while like relying on anti-worker and pro-corporate friendly policies in order to kind of like attract any literally any kind of capital investment and this is just like a fucking fucking spiral you know it's distress anguish despair like you use these words because that's that's the best that's the only way to describe the kind of virus that this i mean it really is a virus it infects every sector of a town absolutely and so like they've you know you look at you know places in like i said idaho iowa or whatever like farming community communities have been able to weather some of this because they have they're not reliant on like precarious labor markets you know, they're not reliant on they've got a little bit more of some fucking community ties there to keep them together. But in places like I mean, we talked about Pennsylvania, but in yeah. you know, in fucking Kentucky and Pennsylvania and fucking Florida, where the entire fabric of of <laughs> nearly every community is just, has is already been burned. Yeah. There's no coming back. And so like I don't know. I take it like real personally when people are cavalier about like the economic hardship people might be facing in this country or they kind of like try to wave it away um, or make jokes about it as if as if there's something to joke about. Like our country did this to these people. Like I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the lack of of care at all. Well, here. I mean, you you see you see something similar here in San Francisco, right? Like absolutely, you know, the I mean, cities the city, are fucking rotting. Exactly, I mean, it's it's a place in decay, and and concurrent to that, you see a huge spike in drug abuse, and you know, people losing their houses and having to sleep on the street and stuff like that. And it's viewed as you know the, the sort of common myth here is that oh, they're from out of town. It's like no, man, like most of these people used to live in apartments here, yeah, or live in SROs here, and it's like you know, it's it's there's this like lack of cohesion and fucking it drives people almost literally insane i know it drove me insane you know just when i was in that world um it's it's i i mean i don't even know how to like describe the scale of it that i've seen and just in every way i mean just in my own life um 
the things that it's affected. You know, if I had never, I mean, I lost probably four years of my life, um, you know, on this stuff and, and more than that, really playing catch up. Um, you know, I did sort of irreparable damage to my body. And you know, if I hadn't shot heroin, I never would have shot meth. Uh, you know, I shot meth for concurrently for about a year. Uh, and that doesn't, that does irreparable damage to your brain. You know, I mean, I'm lucky I'm, I'm okay, but certainly has caused somewhat of a cognitive decline. You know, it put me a lot in debt. I ruined my family. Uh, I ruined many relationships I had with people. I hurt people really badly. Uh, you know, I, I went to jail. I, I, uh, and it's this thing is like, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I had it easy compared to a lot of people. And it's this like whirlwind of like destruction. And a lot of this destruction takes place internally in a person, mm. right? Like this, this sort of thing. And so like, it's this like little, it's, it's even a lot of this suffering kind of takes place like alienated from each other. You know, it's not like we're all dying together. It's people dying in their apartments, you know, fucking getting found face down two weeks later because they don't fucking know nobody and their landlord comes to check on them. Um, you know, I, I, I know people that that's happened to. Uh, it, and like, it's, it's this like, it's this like individualized battle that all these people are fighting and they're losing, you know, they, they, a lot of them lose, you know, the, the, the rates for getting out of this stuff are not great. You know, um, there's a, I think about 150 people die a day of drug overdoses now in San Francisco alone, I think about 200 people have died of COVID and almost 700 have died of ODs since the pandemic started. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it, it's just the cascading effects of this, you know, again, like the secondary effects of this, the, the, the people having to turn to crime and ruining their lives by having to go to prison forever, yeah. uh, or, you know, for a long time. Um, you know, people who die in car accidents cause they nod off shit like that. I mean, who lose their kids. It's, it's who go into, you know, basically limitless lifetime debt. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally psycho. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, again, like I, I doubt that there's many people listening to this who don't know somebody that this has happened to, or at least know somebody who has a relative that died or something yeah. like this. I mean, this is a war on essentially everybody from like all of these companies yeah. And like none of them, by the way, are free from this shit. You know, we talk a lot about Purdue because their shit's out in the open and because they made Oxycontin, but Pfizer, fucking Teva, Johnson and Johnson, which by the way, was fucking bribing farmers in Tasmania with BMWs to make them grow poppies out there. And they made these fucking super poppies. You know, it's, it's, it's none the, the, the problem is. Is that and the thing that kind of drives me so insane? I don't really think like in the day to day of stuff like this stuff. I don't think of myself as like a victim of these companies or anything like this. But like when I zoom out, I'm like, I absolutely got caught up in this stuff, just like everybody else did. You know, I rode the wave of this stuff, um, and like I, I want these people to be punished. That's and, like, the thing. Like I, I mean, you know, I'm always like, I read, I was reading through all this shit, and I'm like, this family fucking deserves to be strung up yeah. on a christmas tree in fucking yeah. times square like absolutely i i feel you know a lot of people have made comments that like sometimes our podcast is depressing because we're talking about <laughs> such terrible things yeah. but like this should fucking make you angry this makes me so angry this yeah. is like it i mean it's like dow chemical level the tobacco companies level these are major major corporations poisoning the like entire 
world yeah it's yeah it's an environmental health disaster and i don't know any other um like way or scale to kind of like put it like or how to think about it otherwise yeah yeah i mean it's it's i don't know how to put the toothpaste back in the tube on this either you know they, they come up with all these different you know you know plans to take care of the opioid epidemic and stuff like that and it's like i don't know man like I, I I know how to get a, a, an individual guy sober. I don't know yeah. how to get a lot of people off of this shit. You know, it's, it's, and the thing is too, it's like, you know, this is why I, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about like, you know, legalized drugs and all this stuff like that. Like, okay. Like, I, you know, I'm not even talking about that, but it's like, brother, like you don't want heroin sold at fucking Walgreens. No, like dude. communities have also, tried. it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Also it literally is. Yeah. yeah. But communities have tried for like decades to get this shit off of their out of their streets yeah. off of their communities so when people go around talking about like oh we need to legal not just like decriminalize and you know get addicts and shit out of jail obviously i'm for that or I'm decriminalize like, I don't know. totally but like, separate it but like they shouldn't be fucking selling i mean that's a libertarian fucking argument right there and that that's some shit that like yes yeah, I, I know enough people have died on this shit that's like it's not you know it's a fuck it's fucking poison yeah man like i don't know join hands with fucking Pfizer and Purdue and yeah. the scumbags at McKinsey for your libertarian paradise. But like you're, I, you and I are not on the right, on the, on the same side. My yeah. Friend. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is, man. It's like, I, 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 I know, you know, this shit is, this shit is, po I, I, I loved heroin and like, I gladly at some points ruined my life for heroin. Um, and like, I, you know, it's, I, I don't have dreams about like, you know, women and I have loved in the past. I don't have dreams about like good times in my life. And I still have dreams about heroin. You know, it's like, it, it sticks with you. And like, it's, it's a fucking poison, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Well, like we said at the beginning of the episode, just this, a couple weeks ago, McKinsey agreed to pay 573 million to settle claims with 47 states. And of course the district of Columbia, um for all of its work with its recommendations whatever that it provided to purdue and all the other drug companies that to me seems very little <laughs> 573 yes. million dollars they've made about 31 billion off of it in total so yeah purdue last october agreed to pay about 8 billion in a criminal and civil settlement with the with the department of justice yeah they're still i think in negotiations with some of the states the Sackler family, just the family itself, agreed to pay $225 million. They're still all denying all the allegations. They're the 30th richest family in America, too. Yeah, right? that's surprising to me. I felt, They used to be way, way higher up on the list. They've moved a lot of their money around. Mm. Um, they sort of saw this storm coming. Oh, yeah. They got and a little, so, maybe they got a little Epstein help. It's exactly. out in the British Isles. Oh, no, it is literally oh. in the British Islands. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so um, all these kind of lawsuits are happening. The Sacklers, it sounds like their name has been kind of thrown through the Dragged mud. Through the mud. Uh, all, the all, mud. These, all these art institutions that were like not uh, commenting on it are like now mm. reluctantly taking their names off of things. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be the sin eaters for this whole industry, right? Yeah. Well, I know one thing that I've learned from all of this. Mm. We've got to trust the science. <laughs> I swear to God, if I hear that one more fucking time. Uh, what are you going to do? Shoot some heroin? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Maybe. No, just kidding.
Well. <laughs> well, I'm Liz. My name is Brace, a.k.a. Uh, oh, my God. Do you know what I realized? Mr. Methadone. What? At the beginning of the show, we didn't say that we were joined by... Oh, my God. You know why it is? L- l- ladies and gentlemen, behind oh the curtains, gosh. Liz and I are recording in the same room right yes. now. And the, that means we don't have good old young Chomsky up on the screen, because that would mean we'd also have to look at each other on mm, the screen. Which would be very weird. Um, but let me say it twice, then. Okay. Let's both say it. Well, wait. Before you do, can I mention one thing? Yeah. Um, there is, uh, I think last night it was posted... Uh-huh. Um, our sister podcast on the Portnoy News Network. Oh, yes. Call Her Daddy has uh, put out a um, kind of, I don't know, an alert, a bat signal mm-hmm. to its followers asking for recommendations for who it should have on the show. Here's the thing, dear listeners. We need you to get Brace Belden on Call Her Daddy. I need to talk to her. <laughs> She needs to call me. <laughs> she doesn't need to call me daddy. I think that's weird. This happened to me a few times. I never dug it. Um, but I need to talk to her. Please. Through every available means that won't get us in trouble mm. for like weird harassment Including stuff. psychic. Everyone throw out a psychic, think some this. good psychic yes. bomb energy. Think orb. Think of like the orb. <gasps> Remember Trump's orb? Yes. Oh, yeah. It was just like first visit. If this will help, this is a little this is a little drug related thing. Although I'm not sure I should say this, I have poured cocaine into every orifice of another human being. Ew. Yeah, so that she'll probably like that. I not like to do it to her, but like to hear that. Okay. Anyway, on that note, we are of course joined by producer Young Chomsky. Young, yeah, sh- we are joined by producer. I thought we were going to say it at the same time. Well, I don't want to. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky. Producer Young Chomsky. Producer. This has been Tron on, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.